0: Well, for the past several weeks, we've been looking at Paul's list in Galatians chapter 5, which is known as the fruit of the Spirit. Each week we've been taking a piece of that fruit out of the list, diving deep into it, and then just talking about, okay, how do I work with the Holy Spirit to grow and produce this kind of fruit in my life so that we can be the men and women we were made to be who look like Jesus and who reflect his image into the world. And so that means that four weeks ago we picked the fruit of love and we talked about, okay, how do we work with the Spirit to become a person of love? The next week we talked about how to grow in joy, last week we talked about peace. This week, we're talking about the next word on the list, which is patience. Okay? So here's the theme for today. Everybody lean in. It's on the screen. Here's the big idea of what we're going to talk about today. Paul wants us to see in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Patience. All right, this is going to be a fun sermon. Patience. Alright, maybe, uh, maybe your Bible uses the, says the word forbearance, or if you have King James Version, long suffering. Okay, we'll come back in a little bit and we'll talk about the nuances of this word. But for now, this is the most common Greek word in the New Testament for patience. So here it is again. Okay, here's the theme. Here's the big idea that we're gonna wrestle with this morning. The fruit that the Spirit of God Himself wants to grow and produce in your life is patience. Now, if that's the big idea, we need to talk about the problem that Paul is addressing underneath that. Here's a question. Why do you think we need the spirit of the living God himself to grow and produce the fruit of patience in our lives? (laughs) Yeah, because we can't do it, Right? Because the reason the reason you need God Himself to grow patience in you is because patience is not something that naturally grows in you or in me. Uh, We are by nature impatient creatures. In the words of the great theologian Axel Rose, um, all we need is just a little patience. The problem, however, with that, Mr. Rose, is that if left to ourselves within our own strength, we don't have the resources within us to produce just the little or really the lot of patience that we desperately need. So now to add to that, okay, that, so that's, that's the problem. We're by nature impatient creatures. To add to that problem, we live in a culture built around speed, uh, efficiency, get her done, right? Instant gratification, we want it all, we want it all now, which means we live in a culture with an entire economy, an entire system that caters to and feeds and exaggerates our lack of patience. We don't, I don't need any help being impatient, but I live in a culture that feeds my impatience. Uh, I read a study last week reported by the Boston Globe that sought to determine how long Internet users were willing to wait for a page to load before getting frustrated and abandoning it, okay? <laughs> the answer, if you're curious, was just a little under two seconds, all right? So we can't wait two seconds before we lose our flipping minds and give up and start griping about how slow the Internet is, right? Right? And I'm probably the worst, by the way. Something in me rages when something has to buffer and you get that slow spinning wheel that just taunts you like an idiot. Like, I hate, I hate that thing. The little spinning death wheel thing. Like, hate that, right? It drives, it drives me insane. And, and that's, the internet's just one example. Like, all kinds of things test my patience. When you, when you drive casually in the fast lane, um, when you don't use a blinker, I'm like, what an idiot. Does this person even know how to drive? Like the, they just didn't use a blinker, right? Like give, give the guy a break. Um, you know, when my shipping is delayed, like all these things, trivial things can test my patient and my patience. And this is how, this is how impatient we are, by the way, because it's often the little trivial things that set us off, like the way some people chew their food. Anybody? Okay, I see those hands, thank you, in the back there. Um, the way your spouse squeezes the toothpaste, right? Or, yeah, I see that hand again, same same hand. Uh, Connie, thanks for, um, uh, you know, just the simple fact that you have to wait in a checkout line. <laughs> and, 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 and the reason why we grumble and we complain about even trivial things like that is because, once again, we are, by nature, impatient creatures, if you have kids, you know that patience is not natural. Um it's a it's a it's an act of God if you're patient. Uh we celebrated 15 years of uh, of being married last week. And so, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh it takes a lot of patience to stay married uh, and so if you're married or you have kids, you know that. And so 15 years Friday night a couple nights ago, we we took the kids to the grandparents' house. We went out to eat and just we're going to just enjoy a nice quiet peaceful night at home. We never have that. So it's just peaceful, quiet place at home, quiet space. We got to wake up slow on Saturday, eat brunch, just kind of just take it slow. And then about one o'clock in the afternoon, our children come back home and it was just a switch. I mean, it was just, I mean, constant fighting. Like the they just they're always at each other's throats, constant fighting. They don't listen to anything I say. They literally think I'm an idiot that doesn't know anything about life. So like you don't you just don't get it, Dad. You don't understand. This is what like this is this this you don't and and so they they don't listen, they don't pay attention, they leave their clothes all over the floor. They're just kids are gross. They're just gross. I don't, I don't, I, listen, I've got three daughters. I don't think there's a grosser place on planet earth than a woman's bathroom. I know that sounds weird. I've not been in other women's bathrooms, but, but the bathroom that my daughters all share is just, dis, it's disgusting. And these things like, these things really, if you can't tell, test my patience. Really test my patience. Amen. Thank you, Troy. I feel less lonely. Now, On the one hand, our impatience is something that we kind of joke about, right? We kind of, we kind of laugh at it. I think there's certain grace for that, to laugh at it. But, but, but here's the thing. The reality is we have to realize that our inability to be patient makes us extremely fragile and it's having devastating consequences in our culture. Because here's the thing. A lack of patience kills your ability to be resilient. If you can't be patient, you cannot persevere, and I'm telling you, you're going to need to be able to persevere because life is stinking hard. And it just makes sense. If you can't wait two seconds for a web page to load, you're not going to be able to weather the storms of this life. If you can't be patient, you can't be resilient, and it's huge that we get this. Let's, Let's define these terms for a second, patience, if we were to define it is graciousness and steady endurance in the face of delayed gratification, trials, and difficult circumstances. Resilience is the ability to withstand or recover or bounce back from difficult conditions. If you notice, please leave those on the screen for just a moment. If you notice, the two are inextricably tied. You can't have one without the other. If you can't be patient, you can't be resilient. And a lot of people are talking about this right now in our culture. Last year, Cigna released what's called the Cigna Resilience Index, the largest United States survey assessing the ability of American adults to stand firm and bounce back from challenges and trials. And their conclusion in this survey, against the largest survey done on this in America, their conclusion on the survey is that Americans are becoming less and less resilient, So they talk about how we're seeing this dramatic increase, especially in college students and and 20- and 30-somethings who are unable to cope with the difficulties of this life. And therefore, because they can't cope, we're seeing a a rise in addictions. We're seeing more depression. We're seeing more anxiety disorders than ever before. Psychology Today did their own research around this and their own study, and here is their conclusion the way they sum up the problem. They say this, quote, For young American adults... There is no psychic middle ground. Frustration catapults into crisis. So what they're saying is there's no, no longer, p- please pay attention to this. There's no longer any psychic middle ground between I'm okay and I'm falling apart and I'm in crisis. Now here's the question. What is that psychic middle ground that's missing? What's the psychic middle ground between I'm okay and I'm absolutely falling apart? Well, it's something that they say used to be called patience. And it used to be called steadfastness. And it used to be called grit. And it used to be called perseverance. And it used to be called resilience. Resilience. But when you don't have those things, when you don't have patience, you don't have resilience, which means you're okay in one moment, but you're one curveball away, one disappointment away, one relational conflict away, one, one, like I got my feelings hurt away from catapulting into crisis and now I'm falling apart. So just here's the bottom line. Here's what all the research is telling us is that to live well. To not only survive, but to thrive as human beings, we must have patience. Now, this is especially true if you're a disciple of Jesus. You want to know why? Because if you're a disciple of Jesus, the entire totality of the Christian life that Jesus has called us to is oriented around waiting on the Lord. And if you can't be patient, you can't wait. Alright, on that note, here's what I want to do. To unpack that, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. This is one of the most clearest teachings in the whole Bible on the fruit of patience. So I want to just jump right into it. James chapter 5, let's start in verse 7. Here's what he says. Please, just pay attention to the language, the patience language. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. I love this last line. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Okay, the theme in this text could not be more clear. So we'll put this on the screen. James uses the word patience twice in verse 7, once in verse 8, once in verse 10. He mentions waiting in verse 7. He calls us to stand firm, that's be resilient, in verse 8. And then he mentions the word perseverance twice in verse 11. If you're taking notes, here's the main point James wants us to see. To be a disciple of Jesus is to embrace a life of patient waiting. To be a disciple of Jesus is to embrace a life of patient waiting. Put another way, if you're a follower of Jesus, the reason you need patience and resilience is because, once again, the whole Christian life that Jesus has called you to is oriented toward waiting on the Lord. That's what we're doing here, guys. We're waiting on the Lord. James says it like this in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Now, this word James uses for coming here, the coming of Jesus, is where we get our word Advent which we celebrate every year as a church leading up to Christmas. Advent means coming or appearance or arrival. And for centuries, Christians have set aside the four weeks leading up to Christmas to to celebrate the first Advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, at his birth at Christmas to bring salvation to the world. We, so we set aside Advent as a time of, of celebrating the first arrival and anticipating the second arrival of Jesus when he returns to fully establish. God's kingdom on earth for the renewal of all things. Now, I realize that's a mouthful, but don't don't lose the point. Here's what James is getting at. To be a disciple of Jesus is to live your life between two advents. You live your life, we are living in the tension of two arrivals, two comings of Jesus. And just like our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament who patiently waited for centuries, banking all their hopes, all their dreams, all their expectations, all their longings on God's promise to send the Messiah who would bring salvation to the world. So now we are called to patiently wait and to point all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our expectations, all of our longings toward the second coming of Jesus when he returns to finish what he started and make all things new. Amen? Which, by the way, is absolutely going to happen. And not only is it a, James says, not only is it a fact that Jesus is definitely coming back, but James says it's a fact that Jesus is definitely coming back soon. Here's what he says in verse 8. James says, be patient and stand firm. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. It's near how soon? I don't know. What I do know is that we're closer to it now than we were 30 seconds ago. Okay. In the grand scheme of things, we're getting closer and closer to it. So the Lord's coming soon. How soon? I don't know, but soon. So the implication is wait, wait, stand firm, be patient, be resilient because those who wait on the Lord will be saved. Those who wait on the Lord will have life with Jesus in his kingdom when he returns. Now, all that being said, the problem James is addressing, obviously, is that waiting is hard for us, right? We don't like to wait. To quote another great theologian, Tom Petty, uh, the waiting is the hardest part, right? It, it, is, it is so incredibly hard to wait. You want to know why it's hard to wait? It's hard to wait because we lack patience. This is why James has to tell... Why do you think James has to command you to be patient? Because James knows that it's not natural for us to just be patient. So he has to tell us, be patient. And this is why you and I desperately need to work with the Holy Spirit to grow and produce this fruit in our lives. So on that note, in the time we have left, here's what I want to do with James 5, okay? I want to look at this passage and I want to point out, if you're taking notes, two really massive things that we have to see, we have to understand, we have to apply in order for us to learn patience, and learn how to wait well. Okay, Two things, that's all I want to talk about, that we have to apply if we want to become patient people who know how to wait on Jesus well. The two things are, first, I want to talk about the kinds of patience we need, because there's different kinds according to James 5. And then I just want to talk about how to grow these kinds of patience, how to cultivate these kinds of patience in our lives. Y'all with me? All right. So first, the kinds of patience that we need. What we see in this passage is that we need at least three kinds of patience if we're going to be a people who know how to wait on the Lord, okay? We need to be patient with people, patient in suffering, and patient with God, all right? This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Patient with people, patient in suffering, patient with God, okay? A brief word on each. First, let's talk about patience with people. A massive part of being patient and waiting on the Lord is we, we have to learn how to be patient with other people. And this is what James is getting at in verse nine. I want you to notice this right after he says, be patient in verses seven and eight, he moves to this in verse nine. Don't grumble against each other, right? That's impatience. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged for that. The judge is standing at the door. He's close. He's near. And this word grumble, I want you to just kind of put your eyes on that word. It's not, it's not getting at, you know, just the things that you might say to other people that come out, that actually come out of your mouth. But this word grumble is talking about the thoughts, the intentions, and the attitude of your heart toward other people. So it's the burning anger that you feel toward that person. It's the, ugh, feeling, right? When you see that person, ugh. It's the eye roll. Oh my God. You know, oh god, this guy don't even know how to use a blinker. What an idiot. It's it's the eye roll. It's it's the feeling of disgust. It's it's running that person down behind their back. All of that is the fruit of impatience. Look, if you're quick tempered, it's because you're impatient. If you can't stand firm with someone, it's because you're not resilient. You're impatient. And maybe you're saying, well, what if this person really hurt me? Like, what if they, what if there was abuse involved? Okay, look, there's outlying circumstances. Let me, let me talk about that real quick. Let me just, I'm not saying there's not a proper place for disgust, especially if what someone did to you was disgusting and abusive. So, There are times when a person is so unhealthy and so toxic and they repeatedly sin against you in psycho-spiritual ways or in emotional ways or even physical ways and they're so abusive and so toxic that there comes a time and a place that to protect yourself, to protect your family, your kids, whatever, you have to remove yourself and you have to get out of the relationship. There's a time and a place sometimes to end a relationship. And let me tell you, when that happens, there is loads of grace for that. Now listen to me though. At the same time, we have to realize that's an outlier, that's the exception, and that's never the goal. Jesus' end goal for relationships is always reconciliation. And so that means the way of Jesus is the way of patience, and slow to anger, and forgiveness, and love, which the scripture says covers a multitude of sins. Love's the essence of the spiritual life, right? Jesus summarized everything he ever commanded us to do in, uh, love God, love one another, love your neighbor, love your enemies. And here's the thing, here's the big, here's James's point. Impatience kills our ability to love. You can't, you can't, Impatience and love is like oil and water. It doesn't mix. That's why in Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, the first thing he says when he's defining love is love is what? Patient. Love is slow to anger. Love is patient. Love is long suffering. Which in fact, that's another way to translate the Greek word Paul uses for patience. King James actually translates long-suffering, which is another way to translate the the Greek word for love. Patience is love. They're both long-suffering. So that's the essence of love, right? Love bears with people. Love suffers with other people's selfishness and foolishness and unkindness. And here's the catch. The reason we as disciples of Jesus can be long suffering and slow to anger with those people is because we realize that we are also selfish and foolish and unkind and sinful and God has been infinitely patient and long suffering with us. Like if you're, if you're asking the question, how in the world am I going to give that kind of patience to people? The answer is that as disciples of Jesus, we can give it because we've received it, right? We've, we, we, we real, you got to realize that you need just as much patience as all those other people that annoy you and bother you and pester you and sin against you and hurt you. And, 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 and me too. And God has been, and he is, and he always will be perfectly patient with his children. Guys, such a perfectly patient dad, unlike me. I think, you know, the most famous verse that describes God's character and you see this repeated over and over again throughout the Bible. is Exodus 34, 6. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding, overflowing in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. And get this, look at the kind of people he forgives. Forgiving wickedness and rebellious people and sinful people. So you realize what this is saying is that God has unlimited patience with his children. He's never hurried with you. If you're, if you're in Christ, he's never hurried, he's never annoyed, he's never irritated with you, ever. He never rolls his eyes and taps his feet and furrows his brow and folds his arms and huffs a puff and puffs around the house, because just like waiting on you to get it together and grow up. This is not who He is. Jen Wilkins says it like this, and I, I owe this quote to Bethany Keener. This is such a good line. Jen Wilkins says it like this, God has never looked at the ongoing sin in your life and thought, this is taking longer than I expected. Come on, dude. Come on. This is like... you. He is infinitely patient with you. And James's point is, as God has been patient with you, so you also must be patient with others. You cannot breathe in the patience and grace of God without exhaling it on other people. It doesn't work that way. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says when you do that, when you want to say... I'll be the guy that that takes the patience of God, but I don't want to give it to other people. Scott McKnight says, you know what you're doing? You're cutting off the branch that you're sitting on. Because the way you got into the kingdom of God, the way you got into the family of God was through the patience of God. You cannot be the beneficiary of his patience without extending that same patience to other people. So how do we wait on the Lord how do how do you be patient and wait on God? Well, you cannot do it if you're not patient with other people. Let me, say, let me say a couple more things on this. I could easily make the whole sermon about this. Let me say a few more things on this. If we're going to be patient, these are going to be quick, okay? just to, Just to tease this. If we're going to be patient with people, we're going to have to learn how to disagree with them without demonizing them. In other words, we have to recover the virtue of tolerance. Did you know that true tolerance... Is predicated upon disagreement. If you, the, the actual true definition of the word means for me to tolerate you means I must first, by definition, disagree with you. And tolerance means I disagree with you, but I respect you and I love you as a human being. I might even fight to the death for you to have your right of, to your opinion that I disagree with. But nowadays, we've actually altered the definition to mean I can disagree with you, but the moment you disagree with me, you're a bigot and an idiot and a demon. Right? And Christians, we are terrible at this. Somebody holds it comes from a different theological tribe, they have different doctrine than you do, or because because most Christians in our culture find more weight in their identity to their political party than they do Jesus in the first place, when somebody disagrees with your politics, you just you demonize them. This guys, this is not of the way of Jesus. So if we're gonna if we're gonna Not grumble against people and be patient with them, we're going to have to learn the virtue of tolerance to disagree with people without demonizing them. Also, patience with people means you never take your anger to instant messaging or social media. A generation ago, if you were really upset with someone, you had to sit down, you had to write a letter. Then you had to go try to find the person's address in the phone book or something. And then you had to go pay for stamps. And then you had to pay for envelopes. And you had to put it in an envelope and you had to put it in a mailbox and wait several days for it to arrive. Nowadays, when you're upset with someone, we grab our phones and we gear up our thumbs and we go to war. And we drop bombs on people from the comfort of our recliners. And we jab and stab people without even thinking about it because technology has made a way for us to do that. And so the junk that's in our minds and hearts comes out a lot easier these days. And listen, guys, this is serious. Do you, do you see what James says in verse 9? Please look at it. because it's God's word, not mine. James says we're going to be judged based on how we treat people. Don't grumble or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Do you know who James' brother was? Jesus. They grew up together. James learned this from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 5.21, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to judgment. So whoever insults his brother. So here's what, here's what Jesus and James are both saying. You cannot have a relationship with God and then go out and treat people however you want. It does not work that way. We follow the way of Jesus, which means we are peacemakers. We are patient. We are quick to listen and slow to grab our phones and jump on Facebook and say whatever junk is in our hearts. We are slow to speak. Slow to speak. You got it, Randy. Slow, patient. Also, being patient with people Includes being patient with yourself because you are a people. You are a person. Right? A lot of us are twice as impatient and critical and hard on ourselves as we are other people. Amen. And when God calls us to love our enemies, do you know who that includes? That includes yourself. Some of you have parts of you that you despise and you hate. And it's loaded with shame and disgust and self-hatred and self-loathing. And you long to change these parts of yourself. Let me tell you something about the God who is patient with you. The places where you hate yourself the most are the places where he loves you the most. And he is so gentle and tender and compassionate and patient with those places. But you want to know what I've learned the hard way about myself? It is impossible to receive the compassion of God when I'm unwilling to extend that same compassion to myself. And by the way, Paul says in Romans, it's the compassion of God that leads, it's the kindness of God that leads to change. So if you want to change, if you want to grow in those areas, if you want to experience healing and transformation, the doorway into it is compassion. But you can't say, yes, God, I'll take your compassion and then... The way you talk to yourself, and some of you, if there could be a screen above your mind, above, that, that displays, and the things you say to yourself, and the kind of words you use about yourself. Oh my goodness. Me too. So, if you're going to be patient with other people, you're going to be patient with yourself because you're in progress. God is leading you, and He is so patient with you. Is that good news? Feels like good news to me. Lastly, thing I want to say here on this, I want to remind us that Jesus said, the world, we will, the world will know that we are his disciples by the way we what? Love. So the beauty of the gospel and God's kingdom is displayed through patience and through love. This means that your social media presence and the way you're treating other people might be killing your witness. And it might be working against the gospel and the kingdom of God, which means you're on the wrong side of things. You don't want to make enemies with God here, okay? You don't want to work against the gospel. That's, that's, that's not going to work out well for you. So the, the good application here for us is, okay, who, who do I struggle to be patient with? Right now there's probably names in your mind, faces, okay? Who do I struggle to be patient with? Where do I need to repent for my lack of patience, who do I need to go and repent to for losing it and for displaying a lack of patience with them? So let's, move, let's keep moving. Okay, to wait on the Lord, we need patience with people. Amen. In verse ten, then James, James moves from patience with people to saying we need patience in the face of suffering. Okay, so now it's going to get even more fun B- because we live in a fallen world. All you have to do is wait long enough, and eventually you will suffer. Some of you have not suffered deeply yet, but you're on the clock. And all you have to do is wait long enough, and you will suffer. Okay, In the words of yet another great pop theologian, uh, Michael Stipe, everybody hurts sometimes, right? Everybody. All, all you got to do is live long enough. And here's the thing about hurt. The enemy wants to attack you where it hurts, and the enemy wants to, wants, to, wants to lead you and feed this lie of you just need to give up and lose hope in the face of your suffering. God's abandoned you. He's not with you. You might as well give up and call it quits. And so the call from James is, no, be patient. Wait on the Lord. Stand firm. Persevere. Don't give up. And to be patient in suffering, okay, how do you do that? How do you be patient in suffering? Well, to be patient in in the face of pain and suffering, we have to understand and embrace what God is doing in the midst of your suffering. What is God doing in the face of pain and suffering? Well, one of the most powerful images to describe pain that the Bible uses is this image of a furnace to describe suffering. The Bible uses the image of a furnace. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial, I would underline that phrase, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange or unusual were happening to you. That word fiery trial is actually one word in Greek, and it's the word "pyrosis," which literally means furnace. So Peter's saying, listen, don't be shocked, don't be surprised when you find yourself in the furnace. Because in a fallen world, everybody has to walk through the fire sometimes. Now, the question is, how is suffering like a furnace? Well, on the one hand, suffering is like a furnace because suffering feels like a furnace. Uh, it burns. It hurts. It stings. It, it's all-consuming. When you're in pain, it's all-consuming, right? It's it, it, it consumes you, it burns you up, and you, you feel the pain. So in that sense, suffering feels like a furnace. On the other hand, suffering not only feels like a furnace, it functions like a, a furnace. In that, it purifies. Purosis. That, that's why it's called a purosis. The, 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 the word, the furnace, the word literally means a, a, a purifying machine or a purifying mechanism. The furnace purifies and it burns away the impurities so that you can pull out the true gold in its purest form. That's what a furnace is for. So if you're a refiner and you work with gold, and the gold, when you put the gold in the in the fire, the gold has all these impurities on it, right? And a, and a, and a refiner never puts things in the furnace to destroy them. But a refiner puts things in the furnace to purify them. And what's amazing is that the fire doesn't destroy the gold. The fire never destroys the gold. It enhances it. It brings out the best in it. It makes the gold stronger. You get to see the real gold in all of its beauty and all of its glory. Peter says this is what God is doing in the furnace of pain and suffering. God, listen, God never ever puts you in the fire to destroy you. He leads you into the fire to shape you and refine you and bring out the gold in you. And suffering does that, right? Suffering has a way of burning off the impurities. We're going to talk about gentleness coming up as a fruit of the Spirit. You want, you want to know what makes you gentle? What burns off the, smooths off the rough edges? suffering. It has a way of molding and shaping you into the beauty of what you were made to be in Jesus. There's a famous story about a pastor who asked a silversmith, how do you know when you have put the silver through the fire enough? And the silversmith replied, I know the silver has taken enough heat when I can look into it and see my own face reflected in the metal. That's when I know it's pure. This is what God is doing in the furnace. And He's he's purifying. He's he's making it to where He can see His own reflection in you. He's, He's bringing out the image, the glory, the gold of Jesus in you. And this is why you can be patient. This is this is why you can endure, because here's what this means. This means that because of Jesus, no matter how bad it gets, your suffering can never destroy you, ever, because the refiner doesn't put things in the fire to destroy them. So when you know that the refiner is with you in the fire... And he's not led you into the fire to burn you up and destroy you, but to shape you and purify you and make you more alive and, and to, to pull the gold out of your faith and your character. This produces a perseverance in you. This means you can wait in the flames. You can be patient in the furnace because God is doing something. I mean, Paul, Paul says it like this in Romans 5, okay? Romans 5, 3 through 5. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. See how it brings out the gold? And character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this kind of gold and character, this kind of hope that destroys our shame, this kind of experience of having God's love poured into you only happens through suffering. We just have to be patient and weather the storm and trust the heart of the refiner. And that really brings us to our third kind of patience that we need. Okay. I know I'm all these could be their own sermons, but for the sake of time, we need patience with people. We need patience and suffering. And lastly, we need patience with God and it's the patience with God that really leads to all the other kinds of patience. Um, It's the patience with God that leads to all the other kind of patience. If we can be patient with God, we can be patient with other people. And we can be patient in suffering. But if we are impatient with God, we are impatient with everything. You can't find the TV remote, you lose your mind, right? Uh, Kids won't stay in bed. Internet's running slow. When people are tough to love, when trials come... Like, if you're impatient with God, you're impatient with all of life. So patience with God is the key. And as disciples of Jesus, we have to be patient with him. Because, again, literally, the whole Christian life is oriented around waiting on him. Listen, someday, and James says someday soon, Jesus will come. And he will put all things to rights. And he will make all things new. In the, word of, in the words of Tolkien, all sad things will come untrue. That means there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death. Amen? That's really good news. That's what we're waiting on. Here's the problem though. Here's the glaring problem for us. Jesus is not doing those things now. Jesus, what are you, what are you waiting on? Like, we we, we and, and this is this is so hard for us, especially in a in, in culture of instant gratification. Like Jesus could put a stop to all this now, all the idolatry, all the injustice, all the brokenness, all the racism, evil oppression, like hatred, bigotry, all this pain, hurt, cancer. He could put it into it all right now, and he's not doing it now. So why? You know, that's the real question I have with this passage. What is God waiting on? We've been talking a lot about how we have to wait on him, but the real question is, what is God waiting for? That's a great question. That's an honest question, and it's a question the Bible anticipates we would ask because the Bible answers that question for us. Peter says in one of the most profound descriptions of God's patience I've ever seen in the scriptures. Peter says this in 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 9. Buckle up because this is going to blow your mind. Peter says, Hey, don't forget this. Here's one thing I don't want you to forget, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. You know what that means? That means the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with who? He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What is God waiting on? Well, according to Peter, God is waiting on you, and He's waiting on me. God's not being slow. He's not, He's not dragging His feet. The fact that He's not come yet means He's being patient with you, because He doesn't want anyone to perish and do life without Him forever, but He wants everyone to come to repentance and have life with Him in His kingdom when He returns. How incredible is that? Jesus is patiently waiting on some of you to repent. Some of you are running so hard in the opposite direction of his kingdom and you're running towards death and away from life and you're running away from Jesus and you're pursuing lesser love. You know it. You're pursuing lesser loves and you're giving your life to things that can never save you and satisfy you. And Jesus's delay is his patience and his kindness toward you. He's waiting on you to repent and he's calling you to repent. Scripture says today is the, if you hear his voice, today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Do not tarry. You might not get another chance. Listen, if this is you, stop, wait, don't wait. Come to the Lord, open your hands, admit you and f- confess your sin and receive his grace and be saved. Like, For some of you, this is what he's waiting on. Jesus is, listen, he's given the gospel time to ferment, everybody. He's given it time to spread and reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus says in Matthew 24, I ain't coming back till this thing's reached the end of the earth. That's what he's waiting on. Which means, church, he's waiting on us. Because we got work to do. It's on us to... We're we're the fermentation of the gospel. It's on us to bear the fruit of it, to make it spread, to take it to the ends of the earth. So while we're waiting on him, if you're a Christian, he's waiting on you. Because you got work to do. And if you want to speed this thing up and make it feel like time flies, here's how you do it. You orient your whole life around living for the sake of the gospel and the fame of Jesus in northeast Arkansas. And you get busy and you get after it. And before you know it, he'll be here. Like, this is this is what he's waiting on. Now, the question is, what does that look like, okay? So, h- how, do, how do we cultivate that kind of patience and that kind of waiting in our lives? Well, that brings us to our last question, okay? James gives us three illustrations. I'm going to say, just, I'm going to run through these. Three illustrations. Here's how you cultivate patience and waiting like this, this kind. You wait like a farmer, you remain true like the prophets, and you be persistent in prayer like Job. First, James says, if, you, if you're going to learn how to do this and cultivate this, you've got, to, you've got to be patient like a farmer. Verse 7, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. How does a farmer wait? Well, he waits by working. He or she faithfully tills the ground and plants the seeds and pulls the weeds and prunes the vines and then waits for God to send the rains and ultimately waits for God to produce the harvest. So a farmer works faithfully and then trusts God with what he can't control, which is the rain and the harvest in ancient Palestine, you got rain two times a year, the fall and the spring. So farmers, here's a a farmer's mentality in ancient Palestine. I'm going to do everything on me that God has told me and called me to do to make this thing grow. I'm going to work my tail off to make this thing grow, but I'm going to trust him to send the rain and I'm going to wait on him to bring the harvest. So For some of you in this room, I don't know what God's calling you to do in your discipleship to Jesus, but waiting for him looks like putting those things into practice and being faithful to do whatever he's put on your heart to do. The the mundane, ordinary stuff, Bible reading, community, missional community, DNA, confess your sins, share the gospel, all this stuff, and then you leave the results to him. And you trust that, you know what, we're going to keep working for the Lord and laboring for his his kingdom with the assurance that when God gets ready, he's going to send the reins. Revival's coming, harvest is coming, Jesus is coming. So it's on us to wait like a farmer, which means you, you do, you don't sit back and just wait for the rain. No, you go to work and you trust God with what you can't control. That's how you wait like a farmer. Then in verse 10, he says you cultivate patience by remaining true like the prophets. I love it. James 10. Verse 10, in the face of suffering, the prophets spoke, listen, in the face of suffering, they got stuff coming at them, and yet in the face of suffering, look at it on the screen, in the face of suffering, they spoke against the resistance in the name of the Lord. You want to know what a prophet was? A prophet was a person who did this. They got heat, pressure, pain, persecution, an entire culture and world system that tries to pull all of God's people deeper into idolatry and injustice and a prophet in the old Testament is someone who plants their feet in God's word and says, I'm not moving. In fact, I'm going to speak against, we call prophetic literature, Hebrew scholars call it resistance literature because a prophet is I'm going to remain in God's truth and in his message. And I'm going to tell all my other brothers and sisters when they're drifting and I'm going to need them to tell me when I'm drifting to come back to God and come back to his love and his truth because that's the good news that we're longing for. So prophets stand firm in the truth of God and they, they proclaim against the grain of culture and they proclaim God, the truth of God's message and His gospel. James says, if you, if you're gonna make it, you better become like one of the prophets, which by the way, we all have the Spirit of God, which means we are prophets, according to the scriptures. So remain true in God's truth. Remain true to what God said. Saturate yourself in God's word. And then you got to do counterformation. You've got to speak and stand firm against the resistance. Which doesn't mean you get on Facebook or go out and act like a fool. You do it like Jesus did it with grace, with gentleness, with humility, with patience. Lastly, last illustration he uses in verse 11 is, if you're going to cultivate patience, you've got to be persistent in prayer like Job. He brings up Job in verse 11. And if you, if you know the story of Job, he's a guy that lost everything. All his wealth, all his children, his health, his friends. He basically lost his wife because she abandoned the faith and she abandoned him. And scholars kind of laugh about Job being this example of patience because if you read the story, Job doesn't seem to be very patient and who could blame him? Um, you see him kicking and screaming and doubting and shaking his fist and raging and questioning and having all these outbursts with God, with God. So that's that's the key. That's what makes him a good example of patience. Job never stopped processing his feelings and his disappointments in life with God through prayer. Job, he didn't complain about God. He complained to God. <laughs> he He questioned, but he questioned God. Job wrestled, but he wrestled with God. Job raged, but he raged with God. He took it all to God. So, the application is no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much it hurts, you never stop coming to the Father and processing your grief, your anger, your hurt, your frustration, your disappointment with Him through prayer. This is the way you become a resilient, steadfast person. Listen, everything that you've been patient, everything that you have patiently not expressed, listen, everything you have patiently not expressed, toward the people that drive you crazy, where does all that go? <laughs> it's going to come out, if you, don't, if you don't express it to that person, it's going to come out sideways on your family at home. It's going to come out sideways on the people you work with or whatever. So all the stuff that's been storing up and bearing up in you, the grief, the hurt, the anger, where do you take it? Well, you better take it to the Father and deal with it with Him. And that's the point. This is what Job did. Your feelings, your pain, your struggles, it's all a place to meet with the Father in prayer, and He's bigger than you think He is. He can handle it. He can handle you. He's very patient with you. And as a result of Job's perseverance, Job says this in verse 11. You have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Do you remember how Job's story ends? What the Lord finally brought about? God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He gave him several times more what he had lost. And and the point there is not that God's always going to give you back whatever you lost and that this side of heaven, it's always going to be a happy ending. Job lost some things he could never get back. And and so will we. The point James wants us to see is that from Job is that if you wait, if you trust God and remain patient, the old, the ultimate end will be worth the wait because restoration is coming. So whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through now, whatever happens tomorrow it's not the end of the story for you in Jesus. And the end will be better than this. I don't think I've ever seen this or remember this verse sticking out to me in Ecclesiastes 7, 8. But here's what it says. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. The hope that you have because of Jesus is that God is going to leave you better than he found you. He's going to leave you better than he found you. And James tells us why at the end of verse 11. Because he is full of compassion and mercy. He's not going to leave you where you are because he is full of compassion and mercy. He's producing pure gold. He will heal the pain. He will set you completely free from the sin that entangles and enslaves. Your character will be so beautiful god is doing all of that and he's doing it now and it's in the waiting that the transformation happens and because he's so full of compassion and mercy he's going to finish what he started that's the hope we have in jesus and his 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 compassion and mercy is nowhere better displayed than the cross of jesus at the cross, all of God's patience and His long suffering and His anger, bearing with us, is poured out in a moment onto Jesus. And Jesus loved us so much; He was glad to do it. It was the divine plan. They agreed to it. Jesus did it with joy. In fact, Hebrews twelve two says, "Fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before Him, patiently endured, patiently endured the cross, scorning its shame." And then sat down and rested at the right hand of the throne of God. We are literally saved and we are being saved by the patience and perseverance of Jesus.